you know, if, if you want something enough, go and do it. And until something stops you, don't give up on it. Don't have the mindset beforehand that this, this and this could stop you. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, so Kevil, we're recording this show just between England's, nation. what's it called, the National League, Nations League matches and the start of the Premier League season. So I'm just out of curiosity, did you get to watch the England games? Uh, no, I didn't watch either of them, actually. I was, uh, I was playing football on both days during the time, so I didn't get the chance to. I didn't either, and I have no idea what I was doing. I'm sure I'll figure out if I was to think back about it. But I do know that they were going to take the knee. So this is the first time the English national football team has taken the knee, which is obviously in recognition of Black Lives Matter. What are your thoughts on... Well, is it politicising sport, or is it just a recognition of what's going on in the world? I think it's a mix of both. And I know that will be controversial to some people listening um, because Black Lives Matter is obviously to, to a lot of people about equality between between all races, um, regardless of you know where you come from or your, your ethnicity. The reason why I say it is technically politicising sport is because the mantra in which Black Lives Matter was founded on, obviously in the United States, is founded on the idea of equality of outcome, which in turn is a form of neo-socialism now that's obviously controversial and obviously people's perceptions of black lives matter differ um, depending on your interpretation of what you see in the media but if we are going based off what the twitter accounts and the websites say there is a political undertone to the movement so that begs another question is is black lives matter politicizing sport or are we bringing politics into sport by you know advertising black lives matter and taking the knee uh, I think the anti-racism message that Black Lives Matter promotes is great for the game because it's brought so much awareness. But as Simon Jordan alluded to on Talk Sport yesterday, why aren't campaigns like Kick It Out and um, Show Racism the Red Card getting this kind of coverage? You have to ask that question. Black Lives Matter has come out of nowhere this this last couple of months and it's automatically been being introduced into Premier League football. Why have we not seen the same coverage for for Kick It Out and uh, Show Racism the Red Card in uh, in Premier League football? Why has there not been the same media coverage for those other organisations that have been campaigning for years to try and get equality? You have to ask yourself that question. I think one of the things to do with Black Lives Matter is the strength of feeling that underlines the movement generally. It obviously started off in America with the George Floyd murder. Am I allowed to say murder? It was, or it will be once it gets to court. Although who knows with Americans. So there was that huge strength of feeling. And I think there's a a lot of frustration generally due to lockdown and the whole COVID situation, which then translated here. And I think it's brought to the surface a lot of bias that's there. There's a lot of people who I think do not think that they're racist. And I'm not saying that they are, but at the same time, you've heard that saying, it's not enough to be non-racist. You've got to be actively anti-racist. I probably messed that up. But you understand 
what I'm saying by that. And I think that's the problem is that people are happy to be neutral and they believe that's fine. But then to be proactively anti-racist is a step that it, it's a step that takes people out of their comfort zones. Having said that, my opinion when it comes to sport and Black Lives Matter is Black Lives Matter is a has become a bit of a catch-all slogan. Yes, on one side you've got the political elements of it, which I think is probably greater in America, although I have heard whispers in the UK too. And then you've got then on the other end of the spectrum is just people who want less racism, less structural racism in society. So Look, it's something that's going to rumble on. My personal opinion is if it keeps on keeping the issue in the spotlight, I think that's a good thing. And let's see. Let's see what happens, how long we continue this for. So something else that or something that you mentioned in an earlier episode was about the integration of football clubs and the local communities. You specifically mentioned Bradford. Do you think football is doing enough in the UK, the professional game? Is it doing enough to engage with local communities, especially when the local communities have displaced the traditional white working class fans that they used to be of yesteryear? I think there's two sides to this argument. I think if, if, if I'm looking from my own point of view and my own perception, I would say no, just simply because... I look at the conversion rate of grassroots to kind of semi-professional or, you know, academy football, professional football, and there's not enough Asian players in those elite level teams. But having said that, and this, having listened to, to Dow's interview that you that you recorded the other day, um, which is now available on, on all podcast platforms, a bit of advertising there. <laughs> um, well done, you're I mean, a pro. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> but having this now, on the serious note, having listened to, to Dow's interview, quite clear that the FA have got a really clear plan in place to try and increase Asian participation and Asian exposure in communities. So really what what our our target should be or our aim should be is to really engage, you know, other umbrella bodies such as the EFL and the the, the Barclays Premier League. Because I think those those organizations work under the umbrella of the FA, but the FA doesn't have much impact on them directly in terms of um, equality and inclusion policies. So I think the FA is doing a lot of good work, and that's obvious from what Dow said. I think maybe the EFL and the BPL could be doing a bit more or make it more transparent in what they're doing, because I have no idea what their policies are. And you're someone that obviously keeps up to date with them. I'm sure you can tell me directly exactly what their policies are and how they're tar- targeting uh, minority groups in football and their inclusion in communities. Honest answer is no, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't got a clue if it, it's something that we'll look into. I'm not sure that this is part of the problem. This is part of the reason we're, we're starting the podcast is I think clubs, a lot of clubs are doing a lot of good things. The EPL and the EFL may well be doing something, but if they are, it's not well publicised. It's it's not out there. So, right, Kevin, I'm going to take you on a little journey at the moment. We're going to go north of Watford. We're going to leave uh, the safety of what we know, and we're going to go up to Bradford. You ready? Let's do it. Kasim, hello. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. We have Kasim Akhtar, who is from Bradford, as you can tell from his accent. And Kasim, would you... I know you've got several roles that are in 
involved in football. Would you like to tell us who you are and what roles you have? Yeah, of course, it could take a while, but um, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I so my day job is working for Bradford City Community Foundation. Um, I'm the business development officer over here, which is a role that I've just started, sort of just pre-lockdown, um, not not long before we actually went into lockdown. So it's a bit of a new role for me, obviously with the ever-changing world. Um, it's, it's been interesting, should I say, to adapt to it. Um, you know, I've, I've continued working throughout the, the lockdown period, which has kept me occupied, which I've enjoyed. So yeah, that's, that's one of them that I sort of do during the day. And then I do quite a bit of coaching myself on an evening. So I take the under-13s at Bradford City Girls alongside being the head of coaching there as well. So the Bradford City Girls is sort of, the, you know, the junior girls side of Bradford City. We run out of the Community Foundation, which is obviously where I work during the day. Yeah, I think we've got just short of 100 girls playing for us, which is, a, you know, a really good number. It's, it's growing massively. There are there are girls that, you know, some of our teams are playing in the boys' league, uh, or one of the teams is playing in the boys' league, and, and the rest of the teams are playing in sort of the, the local girls' league and, and competing to a really good level and then away from that I coach at Silsdon Football Club as well which is a step five non-league club so a semi-pro team and I started that back in 2018 so I've been there almost two years with them guys as well. All right fantastic so can, can, can I just ask very quickly what is your ethnic background? So I'm British Pakistani. Okay and now I'll be honest in my head, when I think of Bradford that's what I think a lot of the population is made up of so for people outside of Bradford, what is what just approximately, what do you think is the population makeup of the city and the area? I should know this, you know, because I've been writing a lot of bids recently. Um, so I should know, actually, I should know these off the top of my head, really. But I'd say a 50, 50 to 60% population of uh, white people. And then if you broke down the different Asian categories, I think, you know, there's, there's a, a decent, if I'm not wrong, I think there are more Bangladeshi people in Bradford than Pakistani. I could, be, I could just be making that up to me I'm not 100% sure, but there is a, a large population of Bangladeshi, a large population of Pakistani, some, well, a population of Indian people, and then you've got some other minority ethnicities and you've, and you've also got um, some black people as well. Most of the population, would you say they, they support Bradford? Do they support other Northern teams? What's happening there? Uh, good question, to be fair. Um, Last year, we, you know, pre-lockdown um, and pre-COVID, when we had a, a decent season, I think we sold around about eighteen thousand season tickets at the club. You know, I mean, the, the population of Bradford is just over half a million. So obviously, it's not. I don't know what the percentage of that would be compared to how many season tickets we, we sold. But yeah, I mean, it, it'd always be very difficult to give an answer to that. There are a lot of people, you know, when we go out to schools and stuff, and you see a lot of kids that do support Bradford. Um, but at the same time, like anywhere, there's a lot of kids that will support, you know, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, you know, the big six. It's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, and then you get the uh, the odd people that support Leeds because I guess somebody's got to support Leeds as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and um, okay, so can you talk to us a little bit about? What Bradford are doing in terms... Actually, no. Tell, tell us a little bit more about your role. So you're the business development officer. What what business is it that you're trying to develop? So it's the Bradford City Community Foundation. So we operate as a charity, um, but obviously we, we need to bring some sort of income in to ensure that we're, we're self-funded. Um, we're not funded by the club in any sort of way. You know, we're, we're seen as a department of the club. So anything that we do, we must ensure that we are bringing enough finances to keep the department going like you would at any organisation. You know, the majority majority of our work is probably in schools work. So we 
we deliver PE lessons in partnership with the Premier League. We deliver reading sessions, um, you know, for those people that are listening that know a little bit about Bradford, you know, the, the reading levels of Bradford are, are really poor. Um, so it's a big focus of ours as, as an organisation to try and improve them. So what we do is we, we try and engage young people around Bradford, predominantly in primary schools, through the power of sport and, and try and get them engaged with reading both at school and away from school. Um, so that's one big thing that we do. Um, and then we run um, an NCS department, which is the National Citizenship Service, uh, so something that's run nationally. And it's like a social action project for 16 and 17 year olds. And then we've got sort of an ever-growing football development programme for 15 to 18 year olds where coming to us, if they're probably just not good enough for the academy, develop with those guys and, and we try and send them out to maybe semi-pro clubs or maybe give them another chance at academy football or, you know, youth team football. And then when they get to 16 and they leave school or they, you know, they come to that stage of life where they'll either be going and doing an apprenticeship or their A-levels, um, we offer a BTEC Level 3 diploma here as well, which is a programme that I did um, back in 2013. Um, and then from there, they get to play football and they get to do their studying as well, which is obviously so important. So you've got somewhere between 50 and 40 or between 40 and 50 percent of the population in and around Bradford that's non-white, many of them Asian. Is, is Bradford doing anything either through the club itself or through the community foundation to specifically target the Asian population and try and get more engagement with them? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when I first joined the club back in 2013, part of the BTEC programme, I think it may have been 2014 when this talk, this next bit kicked off. It was um, a local supporters group or what became a local supporters group called Bangla Bantams. Um, and they've had a lot of press coverage, um, doing some really good work. And the club themselves have been absolutely amazing with it. Uh, they'll do anything they can to try and get people from minority ethnicities, um, including Asian people, to try and come to the games. You know, there was this stigma you know, going back before maybe I was even born or when I was a lot younger, that, you know, football games could be racist um, or people at football games were racist and it was potentially a little bit more open back then compared to now. You know, around the streets, around the stadium itself are made up predominantly of Bangladeshi people. And I don't know how much you know about Bradford City, but, you know, one of the big parts of the... Well, one of the biggest parts of history of Bradford City is the Bradford City Fire. And on the day of the fire, the local community, who were all Bangladesh, um, sorry, predominantly Bangladeshi at the time, they played a big role in the, you know, on the day of the fire. There were a lot of fans who went to their houses, um, used their telephones to, you know, to try and ring loved ones. You know, obviously no mobile phones back in 1985, and, and they looked out for each other. And I think, you know, they, they say that from something, you know, when when something bad happens, you you always need to try and find something good that came from it. And I feel that was potentially a turning point for the Asian population in Bradford um, and, and they felt that from there they were maybe a little bit more comfortable with going to games you know that they, they felt that they would be looked after by the other people of Bradford and, and you know saw themselves as more of part of the same community you know you may not share the same colour skin or you may not have the same colour skin but when you're at a football game that, that doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter in any walk of life. Okay it's a shame that that came out of such a terrible tragedy but like you said it's if it brought the community closer that's a great thing so what sort of plans or what sort of activities are going on to try and engage more of the population so we run development centers for both boys and girls in areas which are 
quite high on the deprivation stats. So I don't know if you know, but again, people that I saw, people that may be listening, maybe from Bradford, and Bradford has, or Bradford is in the top 20% of most deprived areas in, in the country. We look at that and, and we try and work from there. Number one, you know, trying to engage with people in deprived areas, but then number two, we also try to engage with the BAME community, and obviously the Asian sort of ethnicity falls under that as well. Like I said, we've set up development centres in areas where there is a, a high population of BAME residents um, and then we, tr- and we try what we, we can do really from there to try and get them engaged you know we've done um, projects in the past around building stronger Britain try and engage them and listen I think we've had we've had a lot of success from it and I've always been in the mindset that you know I, I completely understand that there is a need for pushing and, and trying to engage the BAME community but at the same time it needs to work both ways and I feel it, you know, here in Bradford, I think, you know, maybe from the outside looking in, there may be a bit of a stigma that Bradford's quite divided. But, you know, the, the development centres, Bradford City Girls, the football development programme that we run, there are certain things that we will do to try and encourage and, and push for BAME participants. But t- to be very honest with you, it, it just happens. You know, we it may be because we offer a really good service. It may just be because that's something that they're interested in. But, you know, I've always been in the mindset that, it needs to come from both sides a little bit and you know that's just the way I feel it is um, and, and we have a, a high you know number of young people that are from a bare background and and some of it may be to do with you know some of the projects we've done in the past but some of it for me is just because that's what them guys want to do and, and you know they're no different to people of a, you know, a white background if you know football is what they want to do football is what they'll do and uh, you know Maybe somebody a little bit older or somebody from an old, older generation will tell me it was different in, in their day. But, you know, I can only sort of talk from my own experiences. And, and when I, like I said, when I came and joined the BTEC programme back in 2013, I didn't feel there was any, anything negative towards me because of, you know, my ethnicity. You know, I wanted to do that programme and, and, and that's what I was going to do. And, you know, there was nothing that, you know, the, the foundation as an organisation didn't push it out to, you know, the BAME community specifically and, and, and we had you know maybe 30% of our class were from a BAME background. Okay so a couple of follow-up questions is there what what is the purpose why does the would the football club want to engage more with Asians or what do you think the answer is from the club's point of view? Um, no I can, I can see that because when you do turn up for a match day you know and, and you look and you see the stats of Bradford and you see the number of Asian people that are in Bradford and then you look around the stadium and, and it doesn't reflect that in the football ground, which is a shame. Um, and I can understand that from the club's point of view. And, you know, that's why they, they've partnered up with certain, you know, fan groups that are predominantly Asian fan groups, like the Bangla Bantams. So I can understand, yeah, I can definitely understand from their, from their point of view why they would want to push it. But like I say, you know, it has to, it has to come from both sides. And, you know, the Bangla Bantams, I know, I know I'll keep going back to these guys, but they've been great. They've pushed themselves and, and they've, themselves out there to show that they're you know Bradford City fans and, and there's nothing different about them guys apart from the colour of their skin and, and, and it's fantastic and that's how it should be. Okay and you mentioned successes what sort of successes have have you guys had? Um, so I think it's just a ref- you know like I say whether it's because we offer a good service or because the young people want to do it or it's been because of some of the projects we've done in the past for example the Building Stronger Britain um, you know we go across all the programmes that we do we, we have between 25 to 35% of participants that are from an Asian background and I know that doesn't reflect exactly on the on the stats of Bradford but we're not far off it and 
you know, we'll continue to grow it. And I think the most important thing is being inclusive for everyone, you know, not just being inclusive for a certain community, whether it be white or, or Asian. I'm a big believer in making your work inclusive for absolutely everyone. And I think that's it proved successful for us that we've done it that way. And everyone, from my knowledge, that comes onto our programmes feels that way. Okay, and I don't know if you know much about the Academy at Bradford. Have you got many Asians in there, many coming through? Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't give you the exact number, but, you know, uh, so we as Bradford City Girls train down at the same place at the Academy, do we play our games down at the same, where it's a school that we play at, so we play, we play our games down there as well. And maybe going back five or six years off, four or five years when I first got involved at the club and I'd, I'd see the academy and there probably weren't as many young Asian footballers but there's a lot more coming through now and probably say on average you'd have two or three per team but yeah 100% again I'm off the mindset and you know some people may may feel different but definitely here at Bradford and, and knowing the staff that are at Bradford as in the academy regardless of the colour of the skin if that player is good enough if that person fits into that group footballing wise then there is no issue. Okay, you've mentioned a couple of times you think there's more the community could do. Could you expand on that? Oh, you know, I've you know, I've I live in a, in a predominantly Asian area, and some people what are not too keen on sending the kids to go and play in maybe a team that has you know a, a large number of white children, um, and, and and the flip side of it possibly as well. But you know, it's it's a mindset that is I feel slowly going away. You know, I just think. Somebody wants something and, and the opportunity is there for it. Go and get it. You know, there, there's nothing stopping you, in, in my opinion. Go and do it. And if then something does stop you from there, that is, you know, a different matter. And then you address that as you come to it. But like I say, I can only ever speak about my own personal experiences. and I've never, ever faced any barriers due to race. And again, you know, there'll be, there'll be people that, have ex- that probably have experienced it, which is a shame and it's unfortunate. And... It needs to be 100% eradicated from everyday life. You know, you see it. It's not just in sport, but you see it all over the place. And, and it, I'm not I'm not for one minute saying there isn't racism out there. And, and, you know, it's not an issue that needs dealing with. It definitely is. But just from a personal point of view, I've never experienced it. Um, and I'd encourage anyone who wants to do something to try and not be stopped sort of internally or mentally with the mindset that they, they may face racism when they come to doing that. You said there's a bit of hesitation sometimes or there has been regarding sending kids into these projects etc do you think because one of the things there's lots of stereotypes around asians and why there aren't any in football so you've got one such as size you've got one such as things around education and the focus on that and then as you've mentioned as before there may have been in the past a more hostile environment which of those factors or is it any of those factors that you think are, are playing a part in in the numbers coming through? You know, I'd, I'd struggle to give you an answer on that, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I coach at Salesden and we've got a Pakistani lad that plays for us. Very, very good player. He's played out professionally in Austria or Australia, one of the two. You know, why he never made it over here? Maybe he wasn't good enough. I'd, 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 yeah, really difficult subject to speak about because... I've, personally, I've never been in the environment of a, a professional first team setup, so I couldn't tell you the thinking behind it. You know, yes, like you said, that you know, there did used to be the, the mindset of if you're too small, you're not going to make it as a footballer. But I think that was just a, a general mindset, regardless of, of the colour of somebody's skin. You know, that was just the, the general mindset of the English game. You, if you wanted to play in England, you had to be big, tough, 
and, and ready for a battle. Whereas you go out to Spain and you look at the footballers out there, and if you look at for me the best player in the world, Messi, and, and you and you see him, and he's a lot smaller, and you know he's, he's made one hell of a career out of being five foot six. So whether you know the size thing, I think that was just a, a general thing across England. Um, you know, regardless of somebody's skin, in my opinion. But yeah, I really couldn't tell you why people are not coming through, to be honest. I hope it's changing with the numbers that we're seeing in the academies. I really do hope that's changing. But yeah, I'd, I'd struggle to give you an answer. OK, so talk about Silsden for a moment. So Silsden's a semi-pro football club just that's outside of Bradford, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I think it still comes under the, the BD postcode, but yeah, just, just on the outskirts of it. OK, and in terms of the area of that particular club, is what's the ethnic makeup there? Is it mixed or is it predominantly white? No, it's predominantly white. Yeah, definitely predominantly white. It's just a small village. And yeah, that's, that's uh, in terms of surrounding areas. Um, I'll, I'll touch on the football club itself a little bit. My experience is there. So I started there back in November 2018. I've just come away from doing the Bradford City Women's First Team, you know, didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would, didn't get as much as I thought I would out of it. Decided to stop doing that part of the coaching. And then the first team manager at Silston, who I know through my, my day job, I was I was in touch with him. And initially I was I was going to go in and do the, the under-21s, um, but then conversations led to being part of the first team. And I went in as a coach and then the first team coach who, or one of the first team coaches sort of, he left halfway through last season. Um, and then it sort of gave me a, a progression into becoming one of the main first team coaches and I've, yeah, being there, being there ever since to be fair. And... Okay. Question, question about the, question about the crowd makeup at Silsden FC. How, what's a, how many people in a, on an average match day pre COVID obviously? Yeah. Pre COVID we were touching around about 170. Okay. How many Asians? Um, I'd say probably about between five and 10. Okay. It's not bad. No, and I, I think, you know, some of them would have been, fam- like I said, we've got a Pakistani player that plays for us. Quite a few of them would come down to watch him. But yeah, to be honest, away from that, it was predominantly white. But it is predominantly white. Okay. And in and around Bradford, have you got any Asian-only football clubs or predominantly Asian football clubs yeah. that compete against sort of uh, just generally? Yeah, definitely with the junior setups. So there's Alpha United, Campion, BD3 United, um, Albion Sports, Atletico. There's, there's, yeah, there's quite a few that I can just name sort of straight off the top of my head, all based in predominantly Asian areas. And, and from that, the makeup is quite predominantly Asian with, with the, the players themselves. And then first team-wise, um, I'd probably say Albion Sports is probably the closest or have got the most Asian people playing for them. You know, they're a semi-pro club that play in the same league as us as Silverstone, Step 5. Indian owners uh, who have been involved with the club for 20, 25 years and it's, and it's you know, quite a well-established club, to be fair. I, d- I just wanted to ask about his um, perceptions on kind of that mentality he spoke about. So, you know, being ethnic, ethnic minorities in, in England... I suppose sometimes we we are taught to grow up with this preconception that there is some form of limitation in our way, especially in football. I just wondered what what his thoughts were on how that impacts people kind of going to view football in Bradford and um, how that might prevent, you know, young Asian boys or girls in Bradford kind of taking up football and maybe trying to get through the elite pathways that they offer in the clubs. Great question. You know, I can, like I said, to an extent, I can only give you sort of my personal experiences, but I can definitely empathise with, with other people and see why, you know, maybe they wouldn't send their children to a certain place or they may be hesitant to send the child. And then as players get older themselves, they may feel 
hesitant in going and you know fitting into a, a different environment or trying to integrate with different people. A hundred percent, I can definitely understand why it may be like that. But I think just with working at Bradford City myself, I've been so fortunate to be here for the last you know five six years. Sort of come with a mindset that you know if if you want something enough, go and do it. And until something stops you, don't give up on it. Don't have the mindset beforehand that this, this and this could stop you because you're already going into that situation with, with doubts in your mind. And I don't know if you guys know Zesh Raymond, um, used to play at Bradford. He's out, you know, he's, he's out in China now, um, or Hong Kong, and he's, he's managing the team out there. One of the, uh, being the first British Asian footballer playing the Premier League, played down to Fulham, all England, and then filtered down the leagues and, and went out to, to the Middle East. Uh, no, sorry, not the Middle East. He went out to Asia and played out in Thailand and stuff. And I, I, I speak to Zesh quite often, and he always told me that don't ever let anything be an excuse for not getting, you know, for not putting yourself out there for something. If you then face a challenge, you deal with that challenge there but don't ever have the mindset before you go into something that you are not good enough because of the colour of your skin. And that's the way I've always, you know, from then I've always tried to be that way. And Alhamdulillah, it's worked for me well, so yeah. Okay, and Kasim, what what are your goals? What would you like to do next? Do you want to focus on the coaching side or stay with, or develop the, the business development side at, at, the, at the foundation? Um, definitely coaching. You know, I, I really do enjoy the business development side as well. And it, it provides me with new experiences and, and, and new skills um, that I may not get when I'm coaching. But yeah, I was supposed to be sort of starting my UA for B in a couple of days, actually. But obviously, with there's a lot of COVID stuff, we're not we're not doing it for a while now. As soon as I can get onto my UA for B licence, I'll be doing that. And then maybe Boys Academy Football in a couple of years. I'll continue with the girls, I'm not too sure yet. But then just, just go and coach at the highest level that I can coach. You know, continue working my way up that non-league ladder as well. Because, yeah, that's where I want to be. Um, I want to be in the men's game. Um, I want to be coaching as high as I can. And, you know, I'm not I'm not stupid. I know I haven't played at a good level. So that conception around if you played at a good level, you, you sort of get favoured a little bit more, which I understand. You know, you come in with different experiences. So I mean, all I can do is, is study as hard as, I, you know, as hard as I can continue learning, continue doing my badges, um, continue getting experiences at good clubs, you know, and coach as much as I can and then keep pushing myself and, and see how far I can get. Any other questions from you, Kevil? Uh No, I think that pretty much covers everything. It's, it's really interesting to just hear uh, Kasim's experiences uh, in football and how, you know, we've all had very, very different experiences in football. I think, you know, that's a key topic that I think will keep coming up in these podcasts is that everyone sees the world through a different lens and everyone has their own experiences and that shapes, you know, our perceptions of who we are and the challenges that we face as individuals and as Asians in the sport. Fantastic. Kasim, thank you very much for coming on to our show and we wish you all the very best of luck in the future. Thank you. So, Kevin, I thought that was a fascinating conversation with Kasim. I loved his attitude. I love the fact that there are no glass ceilings in his world. What are your thoughts? I completely agree with you. I think it's really important that moving forwards, even though we we always feel the need to talk about issues that Asians are facing in football, I think we need to realise as well that with the right mentality and with the right perception of what we're going into, there is unprecedented opportunities as well for people to overcome adversity and really succeed. And Kasim's obviously a great, great example of that because, you know, despite the preconceptions that people have over Asians in sport, he's obviously more than competent to do his job. And he's obviously thriving because he has this go-get attitude. Yep. One 
Another thing that I found fascinating was when he's talking about the ethnic makeup of Bradford and how the community and the football club integrate. In my mind, I've, I think he alluded to that. I see Bradford as a divided city, but he was talking about how since the fire fair a while ago, there's, there's been a lot more integration since then and the club and the community feel as one in the city. Yeah, I think I think as people become more aware of the, the, the divides between different cultures, there's an increasing sense of togetherness to try and bridge that gap. And I think moving forward, I think Bradford will be a, a, a leader in that, in the sense that there is such an ethnic divide between the Caucasian population and the Asian population that there's now a sense of togetherness to try and bridge that. And I think Bradford, Bradford Football Club, based off what Kasim's told us, there's real initiative and an incentive and a drive to bridge that gap and hopefully what he's told us about the academy system we see some good Asian players coming through as well with that similar drive and attitude that Kasim shares so uh, yeah the future definitely looks positive in Bradford up north fantastic okay I don't like the use of the word Caucasian but we'll talk about that on another show Kevil thank you very much for your time thanks Apu